just a warning that this podcast contains language that might not be suitable for younger listeners. Hello and welcome everybody to Curious About Creativity with your host Steph Turner and Ashley Evenson. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So today on our show we have the wonderful singer, songwriter, community choir leader, festival runner, uh, extraordinaire, beautiful, wonderful, creative that is Katie Rose. So um, I'm so excited to hear from her today. I've known her for a number of years. We've collaborated together on various projects and I know how much energy um, she brings to a whole room of people who are complete strangers and perhaps really not confident about being creative, would never describe themselves as singers, for example, but she can get everyone to create beautiful sounds um, and I know that she has a lot to say on creativity and the power of it. So I cannot wait um, to hear some of her insights today. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. I think it's. I think I started fangirling over her a little bit because I was able to get a sneak peek of her album, Flame, which has just been released. She has that very sort of, it's almost like an ancient calling type voice. That's really beautiful. So yeah, welcome Katie Rose. It's such an honour and a privilege to have you here today, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm just absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you. So just to start, we'd love to hear a little bit about your creative journey. So when did you first realise that you were creative or that creativity was going to be a major part in your life? Well, to be honest, it was just really there from the beginning uh, because I was born into a creative family. So we were always singing and making stuff and drawing and both my parents are very creative people and so is my extended family, lots of musicians and artists, visual artists as well. So it was just there from the beginning and actually to be honest that's what I believe is the case for all of us that actually we're inherently creative. If you watch children uh, just going about their business, how creative they naturally are, they're wonderfully curious, they're always up to stuff and it really is just the narrative that we put on that that changes as we become adults that says whether we think we are creative or not but actually for me it's it was always there from the beginning I believe that's the case for everyone it's really how we choose to frame that as we as we go through life and I just loved singing always loved singing and I knew when I was about 15 I had a quite a light bulb moment really where I just realized that singing was deeply deeply profound for me it was deeply transformative and that that's what I wanted to do with my life both for myself to experience that transformation that I get when I sing and then to support others that want to do that too so that was my yeah my calling as it were. Yeah, amazing. It's so lovely to hear about your childhood and being surrounded by creativity. Um, and yeah, I wonder, I mean, I, I love that you said that you think it's for everybody and, and we're all kind of born into that creative, playful spirit, but somehow it kind of maybe gets beaten out of us in different ways. Can, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, maybe what you've noticed in other people or perhaps your own experience and maybe how that differs from people you've spoken to about their creative journey? Basically, there are layers of social conditioning for all of us, which depend very much on 
where we were born in terms of class, culture, background, all these different gender orientation, all these things. There are different layers of narratives, different layers of potentially power dynamics as well in our society that we are born into and then have to grapple with. And those are communicated to us through things like education, family, religion, uh, the wider social, the media. All these things are kind of you know when we when we arrive in the world we're just completely open you know but we're like a blank canvas but it's almost like that we get pruned all our capacity for creativity gets pruned into a shape you know by some of these belief systems let's say um, and conditionings and we have to then go through this process of sifting out what serves us you know for example I had an advantage that I had a creative family therefore uh, it was normalised to be creative and it was normal to be around and hang around and do creative things with creative people. And that might not be the same for someone else that didn't have that, of course. Um, however, I still had to grapple with school. So when I went to school, I remember being completely devastated when my English teacher told me that my writing was too personal, that my handwriting, you know, that I wasn't allowed to put crazy dots over my eyes anymore, which was like my cousin did, you know, and that I wasn't, the same teacher also told me that I shouldn't move or sway around in the choir, that I was told off for moving to music. And I'm probably luckier that I had that resilience in my background, knowing that creativity is inherent that I could then survive those experiences and still come out a creative person. But certainly I was also told that, you know, there was very much the idea, and still is, that creativity isn't a proper job, that being an artist you'll never make money, you can't, you know, go out and do something proper. And that is 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 what many people experience about creativity. And as I say, I had a, a strong foundation to work from. So... And I had encouragement. And if you have encouragement, then you can keep going through those kind of social challenges. But if you don't, then you can be traumatised and completely stop. You know, mm. I hear so many stories of people in my choirs who say, oh, a music teacher told me not to sing. They said something's terrible has usually been said about their voice. I've heard people been saying, you know, children been told they sing like a submarine or something and sent to, to sing at the back of the class or to mime or to not be part of the choir. Um, and so those traumas, unless you've got some encouragement in your background, they can stop a person singing for the rest of their life. And so then that person might show up later on when they're 50, 60, 70s, late, much later in life when they've finally got the courage to join a choir and it looks like fun and community and a safer space for them. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, if you're in a kind of teaching or education role, actually how much responsibility you hold in, in terms of how you respond to people. Um, and that's whether you're working with kids or, you know, anyone throughout their life, I imagine, as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge responsibility. It's one that I... I hope that people are becoming more aware of that how we talk to each other, you know, we mustn't police ourselves to the point of being incapacitated to say things, right? Mm. And we need to have honesty in a space, especially if you're working on something creative. Sometimes, you know, like sometimes in choir, it, you know, if I'm leading choirs, it does all go pear-shaped. And then, But then at least we can just laugh and say, hey, it just went <laughs> completely wrong. <laughs> you know, for me, the best response is just to laugh and to enjoy the fact that we made a mistake rather mm. than 
this very punitive thing that many of us were brought up with, this perfectionism that if you made a mistake, you were wrong, you were going to lose grades, you were going to lose face, you were going to lose peer support, you were going to lose parental support if you made a mistake. And so too much is riding on mistakes because the fact is if you're a creative person, you have to be making mistakes all the time. You have to be messy. You have to be trying things out and things not to be working before you get to what does work. That's just any creative process involves that, uh, that kind of messy bit where things are all a bit chaotic and you're not sure what you're doing. Or, and any learning process involves that too. You cannot skip that phase. So this permission to make mess and to be messy and make mistakes and be is part of innately part of creativity. You know, so much in our culture is about, you know, getting it right, uh, putting on a good show, putting, especially I think in English white culture, this whole like uh, stiff upper lip, don't show the mess, don't show the emotion. You know, that's, that's not really helpful if you're a creative person, you need to express yourself. Yeah. I think one of the things that you touched on is that's so important is that whole idea of creative resilience. I think I also come from a creative family, but like, it does, it teaches you to like, know that you're going to get out there and you're going to try something. And, you know, when you have people around you who've done creative things that have failed in them, they have the vocabulary to be like, yeah, you're going to fail. Just get back up, try again. But if you don't have that and like, you feel like you're going to lose that foundation of, of stability in your life of, you know, whether that's parents or teachers or peers or whatever, if you make those mistakes, I think that's, I think that's super detrimental to, to, I mean, growing up in general, but specifically among like a creative person's journey. I just think that's so, it's so important. And and yeah, you bring up a lot of really great points about that. Yeah, it's building that community. And that's why building creative community is really important. Having creative support. And there's so many ways we can do that. And the external support needs to be mirrored by the internal support as well, right? Because what we have to do is build an inner support system, an inner uh, resilience. Um, and that doesn't mean we have to be wafting around feeling positive and wonderful all day long, right? Because we know that's not life. <laughs> but what I mean by that is that you have, we cultivate, we use the practices, whatever your practices are, and often the creative practice itself, just doing it will build this. The more you do something, the more confident you become, the more you go, oh, I know where I am in my creative process. I know I'm in the messy phase, but I know this will pass and now I will get through to something else. So the more you do that, which is why we call it practice, right? Because practice means your creative practice, you go and you do it again and again and again and you, and it refines and you learn things. It's not like linear from A to B, but you just keep learning, you keep recycling, you keep reflecting on your practice. And that then gives you resilience inside. So doing our practice and plus any other supportive practices, whether it's, you know, well-being practices or meditation or whatever else floats your boat, whatever supports you to stay resilient inside, that's really important part. That's the core, really, of, of who we are. And I think that's the gift of creative practice. It puts us in touch with the core of who we are, however we conceive of that. I love that how you've kind of dissected that about the kind of internal resources and the external resources. I think that's a really helpful way of thinking about it and um, and thinking about the things that feed you or fill up your cup, um, because actually part of the creative process is sort of a giving out as well, isn't it? And I think it's easy to easy to think that 
just by doing creative things actually you know it's fun it's joyful you know we can get lost in thinking that actually that's the bit that fills up our cup but we need lots of different things how have you seen yeah your creativity make positive changes in your life and, and that of others and I know you've got a real breadth of practice so I imagine you've got lots of different examples within that as well Katie yeah there there is a huge I'm just very blessed that I spend my life and my days seeing what singing because that's my medium but you could apply what I'm going to say to any artistic medium um I'm just so honoured that that's my life and I get to see that pretty much every day, what happens when people sing together, um, what happens for me when I sing. And so physically, first of all, I'm going to start from ground zero, you know, um, I've just seen people walk into a room all bent over, literally, and walk out standing up and smiling and breathing deep and having had a lot of fun and had some relief or some release or respite from some really tough stuff that's going on in their lives. I work with people with respiratory and cardiac issues um, in hospital groups. And so there can be some really, you know, profound physical shifts in terms of people being able to manage, you know, life-threatening conditions. Uh, mentally, I've just been told so many times that singing helps us be in the present and be in the moment. So, which is the same as any creative practice that when you come into the present moment, you cannot be thinking about when you're singing, you haven't got time to think about the shopping list or all your other worries. You know, you have to be in the moment. And that is very relieving for any kind of anxiety or worry or depression or mental stress. And um, so time and time again, people have told me how it's been like a mental health lifeline really for them emotionally, um, so we all have these core emotions and singing is, and other forms of creativity help us blow off steam. You can, you know, whether you're throwing paint all over the place or you're just singing wonderful songs, you are expressing your feelings. You can sing an angry song, you can sing a happy song, you can sing a worried song, whatever. You, but you get this, you get permission for your emotions to run through you. And again, a lot of the reasons I personally feel that we get health issues and we get tension and stress is because that flow of emotion is not being allowed through especially as I said in white English culture where no we don't do that we're too polite we don't let those things out of the box so singing and creativity lets the things out of the box we get to express ourselves and this is why you know I again I've heard many stories people saying oh it helped me get through a divorce it helped me get through a bereavement I used to just come and cry. I've seen, you know, I, I was very honoured to work with a choir in a hospice where, yeah, everyone was crying and it was there was just permission for everyone to have a cry if they needed to. And that was just part of the whole choir and what made it so special that we chose songs that were appropriate to people that were possibly had lost people, um, but also very uplifting songs about resilience and strength and, and being together as well. So, you know, that... That emotional expression is very important, I believe, for our health on every level and helps us process. I believe when we allow the emotions to pass through, especially the ones that we don't like or we label as being, you know, like difficult emotions, anger, grief, pain, despair, all these things, you can let all of those things through you when you sing and they can safely be transmitted. You're not dumping on anyone, you know, you're just letting them pass through 
and that way they process they're processed instead of just hanging around you know so that's that's for me very important the emotional side and um, the social part of singing yes a lot of artists make work in isolation but there's also ways that we have we said we share our work if you're singing in a choir uh, people bond very quickly I can walk into a space and start a warm-up with people and within minutes we are gone from being strangers to laughing and being silly with each other you know so that's really important and this kind of sense of support systems people build support systems out of creative groups you know whether it's your painting group or your walking group or whatever it becomes a friendship group it becomes a social group and the last thing i'd say is spiritually um whatever our belief systems are uh, i believe we need something that gives us some magic some uplift something outside of ourselves outside of the day-to-day -day that is kind of transcendent it gives us awe and wonder and wow, that's something that a bigger picture kind of blue sky thinking, whatever you want to call it, you know, faith. But there is this need, I believe, for transcendence, for spirituality and singing and creative process puts us in touch with that, that core, that core sense of us. Yeah. It's so funny. All of the things that you're saying, I feel like, I almost feel like this is my church or whatever. Like this is like, you're up at the pulpit, like singing all of the praises and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yes, amen. Amen to all of the things that you're saying. Um, one thing that you mentioned that I don't think that we've actually talked about is that whole idea of creativity being a spiritual endeavor of like, of, of producing that, those moments of exactly the things that you said, those moments of wonder and awe and just magic in the air, which I think that, that there are those, I think for anybody who has a creative practice, like they must have experienced something like that at some point in time, whether that's in the process or if it's witnessing somebody witnessing their own creative work or whatever the situation was. But I think that that's something that's so important and vital to all of us as creatives, but we never talk about that aspect of things. Yeah, and I think that's because um, if it depends where you're, where again, what society we're in and what culture we're in, um, but certainly in the West, there's this materialism that it, I, I, it's it's not accurate because I don't believe that we are just flesh and bones and blood. You know, yeah, we are all of that for sure, but. We wouldn't have the capacity to talk about our emotions and our inner process if we didn't have an inner process, you know. And we wouldn't have the capacity to feel these much bigger sensations of connection uh, if, if they didn't exist, as it were. But the, the Western model fixates us on the, the material and on the body and on earning money and on, do you see what I mean, the materialism. And that's you know, I believe is, is a, it's a dumbing down of people because people who are in awe and wonder and joy are, will not be dumbed down. <laughs> they will be happy and, and fulfilled and well, and then they are empowered. So coming back to what you said about spirituality, it's, it's hard also because spirituality has been associated for centuries with dogma and religious dogma. And of course, I'm respectful of all religious beliefs and, and of course, you know, and I was brought up in churches myself and I gained a lot from that too um, and I spent a lot of time 
studying what singing and spirituality does and what how singing and what I found was that across multiple traditions we find sound is right in the center of of faith and worship even in very very strict for example even in the very strict Islamic practice where there's no singing but there's you still have the call to prayer which is sung five times a day from the minarets right so Every practice I looked at, I found sound at the center. And it was often in the beginning, you know, in the myths at the beginning of the world, there was sound. There was the word of God or the Big Bang or, you know, sound is right there as the core vibration. And we know that it's actually when we are in the womb, our ears, our hearing is the first sense to develop. So you can match all these things up, you know, you can match. For me, I'm much, I'm really interested in seeing connectivity between different spiritualities, between science and spirituality. And because I really, I, I suppose looking at all of that made me think, hey, look, everyone's trying to say the same kind of stuff just from different cultural and religious perspectives. Oh, that is so uh, beautiful and poignant, Katie. And, I, you know, I think... It just, yeah, it's it's almost like the power of creativity to cross these divides that we artificially kind of create for ourselves, but actually that that different uh, creative practices can, yeah, transcend those things and bring us together. And I think as well with singing, there's something so ancient about it. And you've spoken there about kind of di different traditions and different faiths, but actually kind of culturally. I, I can't imagine that there's ever a time in history where singing or making sound together wasn't part of our practice as human beings. Um, I was listening to a song recently, which was which was about kind of passing on these, um, passing on our song. Like, you know, people are still uh, connecting through generations that aren't here anymore through singing that song again. Um, it's something about that it, it kind of connects and transcends time as well as um, kind of all of these barriers as well, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, how do little babies learn to communicate? We sing to them, right? There's a lot of research now about um, what they call infant-directed speech, you know, uh, which is which is what we all naturally do when we speak to an animals or children. We all go into this, oh, la, 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 kind of different tone of speaking, different way of speaking. It's much more songful. It's much more lyrical. And children themselves... When they're learning to speak, they babble, they make all these incredible sounds. And that's our soundscape that we're born into. That's our natural creativity with our voices. And we still have that. We still have it. It's still available to us. Um, they did this amazing study where they showed that babies were taught, you know, were talked to in kind of infant-directed speech in different languages. But it didn't matter, actually, what the language was. The babies would respond according to the emotion that was underneath that, you know. Um, and so it just showed that, you know, there is, there is this sound. And sometimes I like doing workshop, uh, and, you know, I like doing an exercise where I say, right, everyone's just got to say how, you've got to just say how you are, but without words. Just show us how you are, but with the sound. And everyone can do that. If I go, then everyone knows how I feel, you know. <laughs> I don't have to explain, you know, all the backstory. I can just go, you know. And so we, <laughs> we are sounding beings. And I believe, you know, and sound is right at the center of every single cell of our body. It has a vibration. That's how we can use ultrasound and things like this, you know. So these are scientific. Mean, it's not just woo-woo. This is scientific, you know, in the, in the cells of us as well. So I just think, as you say, it can transcend 
uh, barriers and there are amazing organizations doing you know very real reconciliation work like musicians across barriers who go and work in war-torn places and use music as a way to start healing some of the trauma and the disconnects and you know you get people who are supposedly from warring places together coming together to make music together as a way of trying to to make peace to try and find a way to be at peace with each other and what we so often find is that there is so much common ground as well as celebrating that we also are unique and different and and how can and we can celebrate both those things kind of picking up on I suppose we've spoken a lot about barriers there and things that might kind of set us apart and and you've um, obviously noted some of the other things in your own creative journey that might have helped you um, in terms of your practice and get to you get you where you are today but what do you think are the the major or some of the minor barriers um, for um, for accessing our own creativity? The really big ones are the um what I touched on the beginning, this kind of social conditioning, right? So depending on what narratives you grew up on will depend on how much of a sense of creative agency you have and how much of a voice you feel you have, a creative voice you feel you have in a society. Uh, for example, women, for example, often feel that their voice is less important because they've been conditioned as women to feel that they're inferior, that they're less important, that they will not... Uh, that they will not have positions of authority, that they will not be paid as much. And, of course, that varies from in different cultures. So for, that's just one layer. And, of course, there are other layers for uh, cultural uh, disability, gender, as we said. So those those things can appear to be very big. They are very big. There's no way that me as just one woman can undo all of that conditioning. But what I can do is I can unpack the impact of that conditioning on myself and I can start looking at the negative stories that I've absorbed and then I can choose whether I want to rewrite those. And that is our power as creatives, that we have the power to choose the narrative. This is just an internal process inside of us. You don't need any money to do that. You just reflect on yourself and you reflect on your own conditioning and you unpack it. And it's hard. It's hard. That work, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, it's not it's not easy work because you have to really dig down and get underneath layers and there's often more and you think oh I've just done that layer and here's another one and here's another one here's another one but the reward of that work is empowerment we then also of course there are barriers which are external and are significant if someone is impoverished it's going to be really really hard for them to just you know uh, relax relax and be creative if you haven't got a a, ha a roof over your head you know but we know that despite that there are and have been incredible artists who were starving and hung homeless van gogh being one really famous example so it doesn't mean it's impossible but it gets of course a huge amount more difficult if you are economically deprived in any way at the moment our especially in the pandemic here in the west a lot of our creativity is transmitted virtually. If you don't have access to a laptop or a phone, then you know you don't have the, the same access to some of the creative agency that other people do that have those things. But I feel that going on that inner journey and building the, 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 the relationship with ourselves first and foremost, and then building out those external support systems is what helps us you know, overcome those and there is help available. I know that too, that there are incredible challenges, but there is help available and we just have to 
believe in ourselves and sometimes be brave enough to go out and, and find the help and take the help. And then there's minor things like our own just personal ticks and habits, you know, like I know I can procrastinate just like anyone else. And I know I've got habits and things that I need to, <laughs> you know, minor things that I do that probably trip me up. And I think we all do and we're all human and it's, it's not to be condemned, but I think it's just about knowing your own, knowing your own habits and, and setting up good routines, setting up good habits. And when you've noticed one habit, if, for example, you've noticed that scrolling on the Internet is reducing your creative output and, the, and is, you're losing time that way, then it's time to say, ah, that's becoming a barrier now to me being creative. So I need to address that and take responsibility and have a look at how can I change my routines? What habits do I want to put in place? Are the things I'm doing every day, are they leading me towards creativity and well-being or are they taking me another way? And what do I want to do? You know, just keeping that creative inventory with yourself about, and that doesn't mean policing yourself. Of course, if you just want to have an evening watching Netflix, that's cool, you know, but you know, as long as you're not losing all your creative time on Netflix. <laughs> You've got to constantly reflect because those things change all the time as well, um, based on your circumstances, your environment, how you're feeling, all of those sorts of things. So it's a kind of ongoing process, isn't it? It's huge. It's huge. And it's refining. It's a daily process. And I think that's why it's really important, because I think one of the really big barriers is our own internal critic yeah, and our own internal self-sabotage. Everybody I have ever spoken to, every artist, doesn't matter how successful they are, has got that part of themselves is often a conglomeration of internalized beliefs and stuff that we absorbed along the way and it goes into this kind of inner persona that becomes our inner critic that's always ready with a big stick to beat us up <laughs> say hey you didn't do good enough you're not good enough you're not worthy and you know who do you think you are to be an artist you must be so up yourself all this stuff yeah and we all know that stuff there are people you know and, and you're we all have what I call these broken records these old messages that go over time and time again and they come up you know they'll come up particularly when you're being creative when you're or when you're taking a risk and what I've learned is you have to face those things down and just not even to try and pretend that they're not there, they will be there. They just seem to be part of the human condition. So we don't need to, we don't even need to go on then and try and on the rampage and try and beat up our critic because then you become in an inner, you're in an inner conflict then. So the way, for me, the way I've learned to understand my critic is that actually a lot of the time when I get underneath the vicious stuff, what it's trying to do is keep me safe. It's trying to keep me from taking risks. It's trying to keep me in my box because it's not safe to take a creative risk. It appears to be to the critic. But actually, if I reassure myself and I put in enough support and actually I say, well, I am going to take this risk and I'm going to put in all the support and all the practice that I need to do to make sure that I do the very, very best that I actually can, then the inner critic I find subsides. That and also practicing, you know, things like meditation or mindfulness or yoga or exercise or whatever that calms down the monkey mind whatever it is that does that for you those kind of practices really really help to 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 address that because that inner barrier can be huge and that's really again it's just grappling with ourselves and building in self-love resilience practices that support us so that we can 
not be beholden to the critic and that it's really the inner authority which is 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 externalized in wider society but when you know that that part actually of us is very small it's really very small and it's not actually very powerful it appears to be all powerful but it isn't and actually what we talked about in terms of spirituality and awe and wonder and majesty and all those amazing benefits you get from creativity those are much bigger they are much bigger and when your passion for what you love is much bigger when your big why why am i doing what i'm doing what is in it for me why do i love it it could just be because i love it hooray that's more than enough and that's much bigger and much grander and much more powerful than the whole no nah, no nah, you're not so good at this you don't nah, nah, nah. that's just silly small stuff this big stuff you align yourself with the big stuff then woo you know that's when all the magic happens I literally felt like you were quoting my inner critics. So you've had uh, you've had special access to my inner critic and recorded it, and then played it back to me because mine sounds exactly the same. Um, and yeah, and just some of those actually really tangible things that we can help ourselves just to slow down and connect into. And I think that one about connecting to the the joy and connecting to the bigger picture side of things actually that makes so much sense, doesn't it? But it's so easy for that. Meh, meh, meh voice to be the really loud one isn't it like it's loud hailer in your ear yeah and a very simple way that we can stay connected to that bigger picture stuff is just go why am I doing this why am I doing this and yeah there will be a point in any creative process where you go why the hell did I start this you know um, but the best thing is just to yeah it's just to enjoy and go okay I'm freaking out that's fine <laughs> if you can enjoy freaking out just really go for it and enjoy it and then and then <laughs> but then come back to what yeah why why did I do this well because I love singing because I want to communicate through singing because I believe that singing is transformational and I see that every day in my life so when you know you're one just find that and stay aligned with it and remind yourself of it keep coming back it's very simple once you know it you come back in seconds you know I was once asked I had to sing it was uh, a gig um, about a film about the Dalai Lama so it was really like you know very sacred very very purposeful very moving event to be part of and I was so grateful that they said to me Please, will you stand up and say, before you sing, will you say some things why you're here, why it's important to you? So, of course, then I, you know, I, 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 it was really good. It made me sit and think, why am I doing this, you know? And, of course, I was there because to show my respect to Dalai Lama and my support for the plight of the Tibetan people. And having to stand up and say that in front of hundreds of people was so aligning and was so much bigger than my silly worries about the fact that actually, yeah, actually my, um, I think at that gig, part of my rap got caught in my music case. But, you know, <laughs> but I wasn't worrying about any of that because I was so in the moment of, hey, wow, you know, this is incredible. This is an incredible honour. This is an incredible honour. And I'm here in service to this event. And I'm offering... I'm here because I want to offer my respects, pay my respects, offer my support. And that is so much bigger than my silly worries. So whenever we are stuck, it's a really good time to go, why am I doing it? Get back in touch with why you love what you do, why, why it makes your heart sing, why 
why it's important to you, why it changes the world, why it changes your world or somebody else's world. And that will, that will see you through, basically. That's what my experience anyway. I think it's so important to remind ourselves of the juxtaposition of power of like that idea of, you know, the reason that you're there and what is your why and like having those moments of that, that magic and that wonder. And then like the inner critic is, is a blip on the radar compared to that. And it's just reminding ourselves of those things. What is your touchstone? What is your lodestone? What are you in, in it for, you know? And knowing that, being really clear about that in every project that you do, every piece of work you do, that is a really, for me, it's like a, a guiding light, really. What's my intention? You know, it can be really simple. It might be just be one word. Maybe my intention is love. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's this. But, you know, and that doesn't mean you're, you're we're all going to have ups and downs. You know, we're all going to have. And I think that's the other thing is that once you've been through a creative process, you know, the you know that there are these, I, I kind of see there are phases in every creative process. And there's this normally this kind of honeymoon phase where you start it and it's like, yeah, I'm doing this amazing creative thing. I love it, I love it, I love it. And then bam, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, right? You hit all the obstacles, all the resistance comes up, your inner resistance or obstacles with the thing itself. It starts not working. In my choirs, I always laugh because I know that if it's a song, we're learning a song and suddenly there'll be this phase where everyone's got these faces on them and they're looking at me like, what are we doing? And uh, they're all think, I, and, and they're all going, we can't do it. We don't like the song. I don't think we can do it. You know, they just, just that'll be the whole energy in the whole room. And it happens, <laughs> it happens so often. And I see us go through it and come out the other side of it because I know I at that point, I just have to be really positive and really patient I don't know at that point either how we're going to learn it because everyone's telling me we can't but <laughs> I have to have faith that we will so I just have to keep repeating and saying no we're going to keep doing this and that's the same if you're doing your own creative practice you have to keep going and that's the time when a lot of people want to quit and it's normal to want to quit and maybe you do have to go off and have a walk and and you know you or asleep and then come back to it sometimes but the thing is, is not to quit full stop. You know, you might need to have a breather, but don't quit. Keep going, keep practicing, keep doing it. Because there is always that part. And I call it the chaos phase <laughs> of every practice. And once you've gone through that, and once you've had gone through it enough times, you know that on the other side of that, and usually just afterwards, you'll get this, wow! And suddenly my choir will be, oh, we love this song. Can we keep singing it? We want to sing it all the time. And then... There's this amnesia where everybody forgets that they hated that song for a period of time and now they love it and they can't get enough of it. But to begin with, it was, you know, no way can we ever sing this song. So because I get to witness, I'm very lucky that I get to witness it in others as well as, you know, going through it myself. So I when I have to coach myself, which is often harder because I'm much more stubborn with myself, obviously, than <laughs> all the lovely people I work with. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean something's wrong if resistance is coming up. It doesn't mean, it actually means things are right. I know it sounds weird, but if you're taking risks, then you will be, excuse my language, but shit scared quite a lot of the time. You will be on the edge of your pants quite a lot of the time going, what the hell am I doing? But that's good. That's really good. That means that you are actually exploring. You're genuinely adventuring. You're not just recreating and, uh, you know, recycling um, material that you already know. Uh, you're not just going through the motions. If we want to have a genuine experience of creativity, we have to take a risk. We have to put ourselves out there. 
because that way we grow and we learn and we make, you know, even the neuroplasticists, you know, they say you start making new pathways in your head, literally. So you can't have that amazing brain stretching, mind bending, life changing experience unless you put yourself on the line and say, I have to jump over the edge of this thing. And I think people sometimes hope that I'm going to tell them that that's going to go away. And I have to say, I have to be honest with you, this is not going to go away. The, the level of exposure and risk doesn't go away. But what improves is our resilience to take the risk and also our trust and faith because we've done it so many times that you know that it will be okay and you will learn from it and even if you so-called fail I don't know what that is but if you perceive you've made mistakes you will learn from them and there is no other way to learn than make a load of whole huge amount of mistakes you know that's part of it we have to go through this learning process all the time we have to be in what they call beginner's mind you know I'm continuously humbled by my creativity. It's continually putting me on the line. I'm continually getting into scrapes and mistakes and learning things. But this is part of it. This is all part of it. How can we grow otherwise? I, we, it's come up a few times. With, well, it's come up with every guest, really, this like kind of push and pull with creativity, that it's a real gift. But along with the joy goes the kind of heartache and the pain and the, I don't know, the frustration, all of these things. And just accepting it as a cycle. It's such a healthy way to look at it, to, you know, to conceptualise it and think, you know what, this is part of the process. I've just got to get on the ride because it's going to happen every time. I've <laughs> just got to embrace it. Seatbelt on. We know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's it's all part of it it's all part of it and for me creativity is a healing it's a healing force so when it powers through us all the bits of us that are a bit wounded or a bit messy they're going to show up and that's okay it's okay because actually I believe it's healing those places it's actually there not and it can feel very uncomfortable but actually I believe it's actually there to help those places and soothe those places and help us to see what our inner stuff is so that then we can we've got an opportunity for self-reflection self-growth and that's where it's at for me you know that and that's what's going on in our audiences as well the people that receive the work are also on that journey when they're sitting there listening or or watching a you know, looking at the painting that someone has made you know you get there they're going through their inner process because the creativity has stimulated something in them so it's all I believe it's all for the good, you know. Okay, so it, by the way, don't feel any pressure for the quick fire round. So far, it hasn't been quick with anybody. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like military <laughs> training. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> so, the first two questions of this are finish this sentence. Okay. Finish this sentence. Creativity is. Amazing. Yay. <laughs> this might actually be quick fire. Okay. Um, finish this sentence. Something that is inspiring me now is? Nature, always. Nature is always inspiring me all the time. And specifically what's inspiring me now is I'm reading a book for an article about Istanbul, which is here. It's a huge book. And it's inspiring me because... It's telling this, the story of the city that I loved for and visited many, many times. And within the story of that city is the story of, of the world because it intersects with so many different religions and spiritualities and uh, cultures. And, and, uh, and it's inspiring me because 
um, it's just giving me such an amazing perspective on history and I find history to be extraordinary so yeah that's something What's the name of the book? Can I ask? Uh, it's called um, Istanbul, A Tale of Three Cities by Bethany Hughes. At times it reads like a, I, I don't know, like a historical soap opera because you just go through all these different emperors. There's another emperor in, this emperor decides to do this. I mean, and some of it, I mean, it's really, it's, it's full of bloodshed because, you know, you get one emperor in, decides he wants to run things this way, so he then kills all the people that aren't doing it that way. And then and then, and then somebody else comes in and does, sometimes just reverses it completely. Um, and, and But just this incredible sense of perspective on history that that gives, gives us. And I think learning from history is, you know, I, I've always been a history nerd. I love history and I just feel I wish that we had more really wonderful historical input and perspective because so many of the things we're grappling with today uh, can be traced back to historical roots and there are things in history that can help us understand as well and when when people have been successful in tackling some of the issues we don't you know could we not learn from those instead of keep trying and then making a mess of it so <laughs> yeah, yeah those sort of things um, that wasn't very quick far <laughs> <laughs> It was great, though. It was great. Um, okay, the next question. If you had to listen to one song on repeat, what song would that be? Oh, Lord. That's really hard. Only one. There's just so many. There's so many beautiful songs. Maybe I just... I, maybe I would just make up songs. Is that allowed? <laughs> I don't think I could listen to one song all the time on repeat. Okay. You can have one piece of artwork, visual art, in your home with money being no object. What artwork would you have and who is it by? I suspect there are lots of others I could also think of, but I've gone back in my memory to when I went to the Orangerie, I think that's how you say it, the Orangerie in Paris, which is where a, a room full of Monet's lilies. And I remember being so gobsmacked by that. So I think that kind of a scale of art, yeah, of walking into something like that would be what I would have in my, you know, where you're absolutely, you know, 360 degrees surrounded by, by beauty. The next one is if you had to pick any film to represent your creative journey, what would it be? I find it quite hard to relate to films, if I'm honest, like m modern films. I'm, and the reason I'm saying that is because I find... I'm kind of a little weary of the, the the blockbuster formula, you know, the blockbuster formula, which is goodies versus baddies. And then you go through this awful violent thing. You know, it's going to be horribly violent. It's horribly violent for quite a long time. You spend a lot, I spend personally a lot of time just going, oh, I just want it to be over. And you know that you're the person, you know, the so-called good guys or whoever's usually usually win at the end and you know there's they maybe they have to sac make some sacrifices some people get died along the way and stuff but you know and then and then there's then there's like the token wedding at the end or something or the token woman who's the trophy woman at the end you know where the good guy gets the good girl and all this stuff but you know I find all of that really really annoying if I'm honest and I find it really difficult to relate to um, and I find a lot of films just too violent to relate to as well um, so I think that's why I'm struggling. I do relate to kind of the more interior kind of films, which are more sort of about the inner journey. But I think I suppose because the inner journey isn't so visual, that's why we don't see so many films about them. I did see um, not a film that I, you know, would say was my life, but there was um, 
a film about that was called The Tree of Life and Brad Pitt and it was really slow it was really really slow and it was really just really about the and it was much more about the kind of inner journey and I thought wow that's great there's some movement towards something that's less wham bam thanks ma'am you know <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I have to make the film I don't know maybe it doesn't exist yet um all right this is the final question if you were to inspire a young person or even your younger self, what book would you give this person to help them on their creative journey? Oh, it would have to be The Artist's Way. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. I can't, um, I can't even begin to summarize all of the things you've spoken about because <laughs> I feel like we have gone, um, we, we have, you know, we have explored so much today and um, always so inspired by you Katie and I'm always um, really grateful to have you as someone who's been part of my own creative journey so thank you so much for being a part of that and also for coming on today and sharing your great gifts and wisdom with the world really really appreciate it really it's my pleasure and thank you for inviting me and for what you're doing it's really important that we have these discussions about creativity and that we share our experiences so thank you for what you're doing and the platform you've created Thank you for listening to Curious About Creativity. If you like what you heard today, please like, review, share, and subscribe. If you leave us a review, it helps more people find us. A huge thank you to our wonderful guest today, Katie Rose. Curious About Creativity is hosted by Steph Turner and Ashley Evenson. Music is by Twins Music. We're edited by Bex Deverage and produced by Bex Deverage, Ashley Evenson, and Steph Turner. <laughs>